Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. The recording you'll hear in this episode of the Leadership Under Fire, Humanizing the Narrative podcast, features Gabe and Jemmy and was part of a virtual conversation with leaders enrolled in the online LUF Leadership Development course. Gabe is a second-generation member of the Camden, New Jersey Fire Department. He presently serves as a captain and is assigned to Squad Company 7. Gabe has spent many years serving in Camden's special operations companies and is a member of New Jersey Task Force 1 FEMA USAR. He completed undergraduate study in public safety administration from Newman University and holds a master's degree in emergency and disaster management from Georgetown University. Gabe is presently pursuing a doctorate in education. He was previously featured on episode number 60 of this podcast, titled From Renegade to Reformer with Captain Gabe and Jemmy. Enjoy the presentation. So tonight we're, we're going to talk about... Uh education and learning. And it's basically going to be a little bit about my journey through it, but more importantly about the insights that I've kind of learned and and how it's made me a better firefighter and a better person. And hopefully it resonates with you a little bit. Bio-wise, I don't really have a ton. I'm in my 24th year with City of Canada Fire Department. I'll, I'll complete my 24th year this December. I like to think that I I don't have all the answers, but I certainly ask as many questions as I possibly can. Like a lot of the leadership under fire team, I'm kind of an antagonist. I sort of like poking people and asking them the question, just asking them like why they believe some of the things that they believe and and like, why are we so uh, hell bent on some of the ideas that we have and what works and what doesn't work. And uh, I think the educational learning segment will help us answer those questions. Sometimes they reinforce what you believe, and other times, hopefully, they make you change your mind. And and as I've gotten older, I feel like I've gotten much more interested in changing my mind. I had to sit through a pure hell NFA class yesterday. No offense to anybody who's in involved with the National Fire Academy or whatever, but um, it was largely a box checking thing, and and they would allude to something but not elaborate on it, and it was just really difficult for me knowing what I know now and and thinking how I think to really kind of get into it. So I know uh, Jason will will typically start off many of his lectures with something along the lines of um, your thoughts on what a good leader would be and what what traits you would want your leader to have or, or um, if you were looking to emulate somebody, what those traits would be. So I'd like to kind of start off with the opposite because I was the opposite and, and I, and I will go into self-deprecation mode here. You know, nothing, nothing tonight is right or wrong. Nothing's more correct or incorrect than the other. This is just my personal take on it, but how many, you could even blurt this out if you want, but let's think about like, what, what are the traits of like a subordinate or even a peer or a superior that you would 
work with that you would not like something that's not desirable i would say lazy that's a good one anna i like that what else somebody just blurt a few of them out unwilling to learn not willing to learn i heard that one unwilling not to educated not educated that that can hurt you for sure unwilling to share Okay, not willing to share, like share share training, share knowledge, or share yeah, like knowledge and information that they may have. They're just sort of intimidated to pass that information along for whatever reason. Yeah, or maybe they want to hoard it, kind of, and and like not help other people develop. Sometimes they kind of prefer that, so that they're the smartest person in the room or whatever, right? So I'll try to use my own experience for perspective here, and. I think that like it, when you look at this 24 year old kid with my father here at my graduation ceremony uh, from the city of Camden fire Academy, you're looking at a kid that had a lot of promise and, and a lot of really good traits. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't want to completely crush myself, but like I learned really early on that, or at least I was trying to teach myself that just because I was tactically sound and was willing to go into fires and, and do my job. And I was sort of Johnny on the spot and I was often in the right place at the right time. And I knew what to do when I got there. I made it make sense in my head to make me sort of like think I could do whatever I wanted, or I could kind of like push a bunch of envelopes that really didn't need to be pushed. They were sort of like just silly things like not shaving and not tucking your shirt in. And that ranges all the way up from mild to wild. I, I I could probably hurt some of your brains if I told you some of the stuff that was going on in my single engine house. When I first started, I literally started at a, at a house that was the punishment house, even when I got hired. So they put a bunch of the troublemakers there because they wanted you to run all night. It wasn't strange for us to go to two or three fires a shift. And if you were pissing off a chief or you were um, somehow disliked for whatever reason, you know, you might find yourself getting a transfer there. So I often hear people are saying, I want to get out of my comfort zone. It seems like one of these trending things in the fire service that people are like, oh, I want to get out of my comfort zone, uh, push me out of my comfort zone. Like it's the only way for, to grow and everything. And, and I wouldn't disagree with that, but I, I feel like sometimes the stuff that we want to do out, out of our comfort zone is like stuff that we like and guys think or gals think that you, you know because i'm crawling hallways or i'm training hard or, or working out hard that they're pushing themselves out of their comfort zone and i just i don't buy that like i feel like a lot of times they they sort of enjoy that and they want to spin it in their own head to say these things because they're like these trending narratives or whatever but for me education really pushes me out of my comfort zone and it started in undergrad, I started to really take on this role of like, I can do this, like, I didn't really have any help whatsoever from anybody that was nudging me towards that or saying that I could do these things. But but it just it became clear to me that I was well outside of my comfort zone. And I really liked it. Uh, I started to kind of embrace that. And even to this day, I just, uh, I was telling Dan earlier before we started, I, I just conducted my first research interview i just recently cleared irb for my doctorate program and uh it, it it's like part of me finds as much growth in this stuff that i would at the firehouse um in, in like being uncomfortable maybe leading a drill that you're not super squared away on so my point here is to kind of forget where you came from in, in the right ways and move past this stuff 
um, or, or whatever history you have. This is a picture of me and my father at my first second alarm fire, probably the year 2000, still a probationary firefighter. You'll notice that he didn't have his class A on at my graduation, and it was something that we can maybe talk about maybe in the Q&A part at the end of the program or something. But uh, here's your boy rocking, rocking the jams and my skateboard days. I grew up kind of a punk rock kid. I uh, lived in San Francisco pursuing professional skateboarding for a while. I had taken the fire department test to get hired as far back as 95, I think. And then long story short, there was a, a lawsuit involved in a re reverse discrimination thing. And, and I wound up losing three years of my career and finally getting hired at the age of 24. Um, so I had plenty of time to kind of go out and pursue a whole lot of other interests. But you're looking at the unlikely candidate, as uh, the boss would call me, on like some kind of spiritual journey, reading books by Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg and and kind of read and, and studied, but like in, in a more artistic kind of way, uh, certainly not an academic way in any kind, but this was certainly the stewed, screwed and tattooed version of me that you would get. Um, and even the guys on my job kind of knew it. Uh, they were always messing with me. And, and then somewhere around like the seven year mark, Somewhere around the seven-year mark, I, I finally got my transfer to the rescue company, which was a citywide unit. And the predominant factor for me to go there was they were citywide. Camden's not very big. You know, it's only 10 square miles. But it was really uh, a license to freelance, you know, and, and that's what I wanted. I wanted people to trust me to be where I was supposed to be and do my job and, and like, engage in the highest tempo I could. So more fires and more of the city and you know and all the other stuff that the rescue company engages in was, was uh appealing to me so to do that i sort of had to get out from under the narrative i had created for myself and, and i will say that i feel like it's taken me a really long time to undo a lot of the stuff that people have judged me on even as far back as 2003 or 4 it's really interesting to see to this day people want to bring up that stuff and and they really don't know the first thing about you or how much time and energy you're putting into developing yourself and growing so um moving on from the whole stewed screwed and tattooed thing I, I wound up applying myself to my first promotional test around a dozen or so years in and now I got to learn how to do paperwork because I come out three on my promotional exam and you're going to make company officer so I don't know if anybody else has been here. I'm sure we've got some officers in the, in the program here, but for me, some of the funnest times I had on my job as a fireman were when I knew I was short time as a fireman. Um, it was just a different time. You saw the picture of me and the gentleman with the fire uh, at that two-story ordinary type three. Senior fireman Joe had like 30 years in the rescue and I, I kind of latched onto that guy and he allowed it to happen for some reason. You know, I just was trying to learn as much as I possibly could on my way out the door. You know, I was a, a private on Friday and this on a Monday. I was a captain. My job skips lieutenant straight up. So uh, the first level supervisor is a, a captain. My company consisted of almost 30-year veteran that was dying of cancer, a 24-year guy, and the junior guy had 20 years in. So my point to all this kind of story before we really get into the weeds is like, this is what I tried to become deliberately over the last couple of years. I have them all coming in at once so we can avoid the exercise sort of, because uh, I know with the virtual thing, it's sort of difficult to kind of do that. But, um, you know, 
I feel like this list is a little more akin to like what we're trying to develop now, uh, especially with an emerging leaders program finally hitting hitting the surface from leadership under fire. And uh, I feel like personally, if I'm kind of sticking to this list, this is a great difference between what the old list was. So really, I don't know if anybody's ever quite thought about this, but there are some some differences between education and learning. And I, and I think just to rifle through some of them, I would say, excuse me, education is the process of receiving or giving systematic instruction in a formal setting where whereas like learning is more um, uh, self-study um, or the acquisition of knowledge uh, being taught mentored or coached, which is something that I try to do for a lot of our younger guys. And education is knowledge gained through a textbook, you know, or a teacher and in, in that formal setting, like I had said, where knowledge is more like, you know, various sources, like, you know, like the senior firefighter I had mentioned, um, or just like some stuff that you're going to be able to pick up on the street just by observation, um, which is one of my newfound favorite things is like deliberate observation. We'll kind of touch on that as we go. But like, where where education sort of um is more formally guided by an educator quote unquote educator i i feel like learning is much better in the in the way that it doesn't really require a lot of guidance like so when i was on a skateboard i'd left little league and i left baseball because because i was tired of the coaches and people telling me what to do and having to be somewhere on time and this was like right like the punk rock kid in me just rebelled um for the sake of rebelling and um the the thought of learning um at my own pace and how i did it where it wasn't prompted by an like an extrinsic motivation it was more intrinsic and more more of like a like getting away from a systematic process right if that makes sense um so and again and again i feel like age is a big part of this i'm i'm 47 and, and i'm in my last two semesters, I'm in my fall and I have spring to go, but if I can pull this whole thing off, I'm going to be graduating from USC uh, with an educational doctorate in another six months or something like that, if I can, you know, complete all these boxes to check. But um, my point is that, like, this is a lifelong process. Uh, and, and I love the quote there by Twain at the bottom is the only thing that interferes with my learning is my education. I, I think that's great. So from like a, a standpoint of, of like what you do, I'm like a firm believer that the fire service in general, like the American fire service sort of teaches us to do and not to think. And, and this is a big problem. And, and you see the quote here by uh, Dr. Klein from MCTI. He says, the way we, we think about training and education is that we train for certainty and we educate for uncertainty. And I Ever since I've heard him put it like that, I've really kind of latched on to that idea that uh, because we do teach people to do and not to think, I, I look at, you know, how do I set and manage expectations for for the fellows I work with or the gals that I'm working with? You know, what this gets back into the education and learning piece verse, right? Um, a vetted procedure it doesn't always work for, for every circumstances, you know, um, are we working on accredited fire training so that we can say that, hey, we've now got the firefighter one certificate and, and like you're you're clear to work on the rig versus like, you know, what does that really feel like? Like, what can I, you know, like how am I developing somatic markers or, or whatnot out of the experience I'm getting? So 
if you haven't, I, I, I would imagine that you were tipped off to this, at least by one of the courses um, through this program to read the book on Boyd. One of my favorite parts of it is like, do you want to be somebody or, or do you want to do something? And uh, another one of my favorite sayings there is that patience generates tempo and you find a lot of education or learning in some of the most unlikely places. And if you told me at 25 years old that I was going to end up in the inaugural program at the Harvard T.H. Chan School uh, doing a national preparedness leadership initiative for emerging leaders in crisis, I, I mean, I would have I would have flat out laughed at you. But now I think that um, matching my street cred with my with my education is sort of something I'm really big on. And I've seen it just like raise my stock in myself, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like I'm so much more capable now of doing the things under pressure, performing under pressure, understanding my body's physiological response to stress, like all of these things that you're going to hear throughout these weeks with OUF have just helped me grow as a person tremendously. Another book I would mention is Quiet. Um, anybody in the in the class would consider themselves sort of an introvert. I would say that I am. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of like a reclusive and I don't really like people a ton, but um, I, I've read books on that and you can understand yourself in a way that you hadn't previously. And, and then like you can kind of go out into the world and, and sort of make a lot more sense of it. And, and like be better off. And and I, I threw this slide in last minute because I sort of wanted everybody to understand, like people ask like what fire service books they should read. And I, I just will tell them, honestly, I, I recommend very few, if any, I, I sort of hate fire service books. I think that some of the books that you see here on the screen in this slides may be eight years old at this point. So I would certainly have you know, a half dozen other books uh, replacing some of these here, but uh, you can't go wrong with a lot of these. And while none of them outwardly have anything to do with firefighting, they all are very, very much about firefighting. Depending on how you're able to, to kind of read these and then synthesize this information will really kind of enhance the way you're looking at what we do Um from the perspective of like not only the individual operator and like myself and how I'm kind of um, going about my business, but like how I'm leading or how I'm sort of setting the tone or the example. Uh, and then like how we all work together in groups, like going back to the book by Susan Kane called Quiet about introverts. Like for me, if I have an introvert in my company, reading a book on that is, is going to like completely get me to understand that person at, at a level that like, I wasn't going to be able to previously and then like I can connect with them and and to me if I'm trying to build mutual trust in my company between five people so that we can perform better so that the mission comes first and it's like I've become somewhat of a social scientist believe it or not um, reading these books and trying to understand people at a level that I had never really even knew existed and uh, some of the books on the screen here are not only going to help you understand yourself but they're certainly going to help uh, you understand other people. And instead of reading books from whatever publisher or whatever fire service thing or whatever fire service leader, I would think that like Taleb, for instance, will be able to talk to you about risk and, and understand luck and chance. A couple of things that are, are like really connected to the fire service, even though many fire service people have never heard of these individuals they're writing about it at a high level and if you can't read the book called the, the hour between dog and wolf where they break down a stock market traders uh physiological response to stress if you can't kind of think 
like a, so Jason recommends the, uh, the mental game of baseball all the time. I tell people to read that and somewhere around the third chapter, if you've replaced baseball with firefighting and read the rest of the book that way, it, it all kind of clicks and becomes really clear. All right. So, so a question who here thinks that we make free will choices? Like just, just because I have to say it, like if ontology is like a branch of philosophy that studies like the existence or the human nature, do we make free will choices? Do we have control over external forces? Serious question. Or like, are we best understood as individuals or as a group? So like as a company officer, and I would ask you to, how many there are in the room um, or to raise your hands, but I, I can't see enough of you to really be able to, to get in on that. So I'm a company officer now, and maybe one day I, I even wind up moving up and like having multiple company officers under me. Are we better understood as a group or as a, an individual? How, how does the social system that, or the, even a culture of what we have going on in a particular firehouse, does it work well with another firehouse? Does it kind of blend in to the overall battalion? Are we like the outlier company that everybody dislikes? Do we enjoy that? You know, so I should have some stuff in here about culture because uh, it's highly connected, I would think, to education and learning. But um, I, I feel like when I look at this group of folks, the gentleman in the middle there, JT, just promoted out maybe a year and a half or so ago, and the gentleman to my immediate left came on with me. So he's only got about a year left before he retires. This has been the greatest the greatest time of my career has spent the last nine or so years working at this firehouse, 113 year old firehouse with these gentlemen. Um, we just have a great time. And I, I seek to understand them at a level that, that I, I wasn't like really aware of. Um, and this is kind of how I go about that. Right. So read this little comic, right? Everybody's got to take the same exam, climb that tree. So, so I, I it's kind of funny, right. But, um, if you're um, not really looking at each individual like closely at a deep level and, and kind of educating yourself and learning yourself about, you know, what makes that person tick, what's going on. Like, I, I, you know, I would highly recommend to read Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps a Score, where he's going to speak about trauma. I live and work, well, I work in a socioeconomically challenged city. I moved out of it some years ago. But one thing that education has done for me is, is to sort of take the creativity and the innovation that I would apply on the fire ground and, and like put it into academics in a way where now I think, and this is sort of what my dissertation is kind of centered on, we bring in people through civil service, right? So you need very little for this, like apply for the job. You need to, you need to be 18. You need to have a, a, a driver's license you need to have a high school uh, diploma or a GED or something like it's very basic we love minimum standards right in the fire service so I started looking at that and and then like I started looking at the individuals that were being hired on my job and and trying to understand them as humans like what were they dealing with when they were growing up and, and like how did trauma impact them and then like how did how did their did, did that potentially inhibit their cognitive ability through seeing like multiple traumatic events just being raised in in the place that I work at right and then what happens when they attend the high school that has a 50% dropout rate and poverty at a high level where the education isn't really that great and then like the next thing they know they're on the fire department where like some 25 year old crusty uh 
old white dude is going to be screaming like just suck less you know uh to quote press incline again i don't look at this as like this is like some big woke thing or anything i i feel like if i'm going to understand that the people that i work with that are my superiors my peers subordinates whatever it might be um i need to really spend some time not only understanding myself but trying to understand them as well so so just to touch on that I, I feel like one of my things is that creativity solves complexity and while I would have always considered myself a pretty creative person, I never would have been able to connect the dots um, unless I had read some some books on creativity um, or innovation at the organizational level. So like when you're bringing up like novel situations or you're trying to find useful things that that you know are practical or pragmatic at, on the fire ground, right? Um, so you have an idea that's judged to be novel or useful by a relevant group like your your fire company. They know what they're doing they have experience um and then like you can kind of change your tactics or you can sort of drive doctrine changes um like this is no longer working you know we've got a creative idea that is successfully going to be implemented in the organization and, and then like you really can only do that when you're educating and learning at a pretty high level and i know that just because i i see it happening and how i think and how i'm observing stuff and who I'm trying to get my information from. And I'll tell you, this quote at the bottom is a, a little ambitious. I'd like to read. I, I use Audible a lot. I buy a bunch of tangible books and will follow along and do my highlighting or whatever. I would never be able to read four books a week. I'm just not set up that way. And if I did ever pull something off like that, it would probably be mandatory stuff for school. So, so Major General Mullins really dialed in on reading, but like I love that, that he's doing it. Um, back to the you know, training and education on their Klein's idea was that like, you know, for certainty or uncertainty. So he says that he doesn't want to run into something that he doesn't understand in the operating environment. And like, that's how I look at it. Like, I don't, the more I understand and the, the more I push myself in academia, I, I start to like develop solutions faster and I kind of understand things. And I mean, I buy 10 books for every one that I read, but, but that's where I'm at. Like in terms of a framework or something like that to understand this stuff, I just can't stand the status quo. I'm so tired of it and so just absolutely dead set against it. I I, I mean, it, it it's a problem in the fire service. I think we, we have this like tradition and all this stuff and, you know, firefighters hate two things, tradition and the way things are and that whole bit, um, you know, there's that. But like, if I'm going to like have some discovery or behavioral skills and I like I'm questioning and observing and networking and doing like these antagonistic things that like typically piss people off, which I sort of enjoy. It's just like, what's wrong with that? Like if, if I want to, to saturate or incubate or, or like really reflect, which is one of our principles, you know, patience generates tempo, right? So like, don't rush it, spend some time in a box, which we'll talk about. And then like, you know, develop some skills understand what's going on and then like associate that and then you have some innovation right like now we're looking at like why this policy is no longer working and why we need to kind of like start to change things and and when you're doing this at a high level or you're reading and writing then you you certainly can push innovation even in a in a fire department like mine it just is like so strapped for cash that most of the stuff that you would want to mention to change is really difficult to do but when you're developing yourself and you understand ideas and you can write at the macro level and kind of push these ideas down in a way that makes real sense and then tie them to things or connect them to things where you can 
you can really establish it, the idea that this needs to be changed, you know, and then you're looking at planning and executing and managing and monitoring and evaluating like a new program. Like we don't have an officer development program. And I know that because I was a, like I said, a firefighter on a Friday and an officer on a Monday. And, and like my organization has basically led me through every academic endeavor. I, I did my uh, bachelor's in public safety administration my master's was uh, emergency and disaster management, and now I'm in an educational program for for uh, organizational change and leadership. So if all of that stuff sounds like academics, it, it certainly is, but it's really about my fire department, uh, believe it or not. So talk about observing. I feel like I, I, I wasn't really aware of how much I could or couldn't observe until I had a project in school about it. When the gentleman I mentioned, Joel, was promoting one of my programs for a semester some some years back was doing an observational thing. And it was like, you know, how present am I in the experiences I'm, I'm kind of involving myself in, right? Like, uh, uh, so how do you learn to see things and, and leverage that understanding? So like, just like LUF has like the circle and, and like the cycle of understanding or, or progression. And like, this is really good for me to kind of keep on referring to, like, I want to learn to describe and differentiate that experience, right? And I want to be able to ana uh, analyze that and, and think about that from different perspectives. Um, like just to touch on an after action review, for instance, like uh, I think it was Coleman Ruiz who said that he'd rather jettison the plan altogether just to have the really good after action review. Because if, if you're operating in a completely different area and I'm not privy to what you're doing and I can't see it, if I don't meet with you and talk with you after that, like, like this is how you multiply, right? Like I have my own experience, obviously from working on the Alpha Bravo corner, but if you're on the Charlie Delta, like we need to have a conversation about what was going on there and how that impacted. Like, so, so like how much of this experience are you really seeking out or are you just shutting it off and going back to the firehouse and being like, uh, what's next, you know? And then like, you, once you have this sort of cyclical thing happening, you can then experiment and that leads back into like, the innovation bit that we just kind of touched on. So like learning how to take or, or make intelligent action out of the things that you're observing um, is really important. And here's a shot that the chauffeur had taken. It was one of, one of our guys, it was like a three-year guy who was just the sign of the company. And he was really into like Joel and I kind of constantly talking about X, Y, and Z as he was preparing to, to move out of the company as a company officer himself. And, and I'm happy to say, he just got assigned back to our company. So I, I would say like, I promoted our special operations to gen pop and, and, you know, we typically have to, it's rare that you'll be able to stay in, in SOC. So he's back. It took me about two years. I think it took him about the same. I will relieve him tomorrow morning at my firehouse. And uh, we just kind of want to perpetually build and build. Um, I think it's uh, the best way to do this. Right. So again, not many people in the fire service would have read this uh, information or the peer reviewed journal by Dyer, Gregerson and Christensen from 2011. But like they're they're basically teaching you, you know, that observing someone in a, in a circumstance can lead to insights about the job to be done and a better way to do it. And if I'm looking to challenge the status quo and a better way to do everything, um, which believe me, there is always a better way. Um, the way you're doing it might work just fine. But, you know, some of these young people coming up in our, in our thing are going to start changing that radically. And, and I feel like we can, we can keep right up with them to avoid traps in our thinking. So we'll move on to networking. And then I, I would say that 
this is um, my cohort from uh, Georgetown, uh, my master's degree. So there's two Boston firefighters who are now lieutenants. Um, one of them is a, I think, moved up to major in the Marine Corps. Um, there's a Philadelphia firefighter who's now a captain. Uh, there was a FEMA chief operational planner for Region 2. Um, there's uh, some folks from FEMSA, some hazardous material stuff, uh, a now retired chief of uh, police department from down south in a major area, and gentlemen from the FAA. Um, these folks helped me avoid traps in my thinking, right? Because I think the fire service has just this affinity for people who are very similar to us, and, and it's it's kind of heartbreaking um, when all you want to do is talk about the same thing with the same people all the time, you're really never going to grow or kind of get out of that comfort zone, right? So um, we should intentionally grow our network. That's what I've learned. And, and academics has really helped me do that. It could be a certificate program at the community college. It could be some high level thing uh, at Embry-Riddle, whatever, whatever it might be. They're all going to one way or another, not only push you out of your comfort zone, but introduce you to some people who who will have some insight that that you just can't get by just showing up to the same old firefighting conference or the same old firehouse and just saying the same old stuff with the same old people so you want to you want to kind of build out a strategic network and i would kind of introduce you to this woman i i typically would ask like who knows who she is but i, I it's sort of rhetorical i know nobody really does her name is rachel uh rachel vickery she's a really really awesome lady really high level competitive gymnast from uh, New Zealand. So I had listened to a podcast with her and one of my other assignments after observation was networking. I basically made a cold call to her through Instagram, believe it or not. We wound up chatting and then arranged a Zoom call. And we were like, I just chose the topic because I'm a little familiar with it, but everybody knows that the NFPA had just recently pushed the SCBAs to thirds and, and like kind of made a lot of our SCBA cylinders bigger and heavier. You know, we did that in the name safety. And I'm sure that if you haven't heard it yet, you know, safety is, is not a process, it's an outcome. And hopefully somebody else will crush that one later on in the program. But um, I, I feel like right away, I started explaining how the SCBA works to her. And she was, you know, sort of familiar um, and basically said, it's wild that as you kind of go up in tempo on a physiological response, and we'll kind of talk about the Yerkes-Dodson curve or whatever uh, soon, but she's like, yeah, so that thing is kind of like strapped down over top of you and, and like sort of restricting your diaphragm and like it's really heavy now, right? Like it's the one we were wearing now, I think is seven pounds heavier than the one that I had. And, um, you know, there's this buddy breathing system that like, I don't even know that it ever has even like a documented save on it. Um, and all this like plastic computer type stuff. And it's just like, uh, Jim, Jim Mack had showed me years ago, an article about Marine Corps time saying that, uh, 15 pounds in battle was the difference between life and death. And, and I always kind of held on to that. Um, because I just, I feel like I, I seven heavier pounds with my SCBA and, uh, you know, largely driven by salespeople and, and overarching, you know, agencies that, that have a say in, in stuff like that, you know, because people like making money and like the Gaylord Fokker, like in a grand scheme to turn a profit, like we, we change these things constantly, but it's never really at your benefit. It's usually at, at your kind of cost. So then you added the PSS system and you add this and that, and like, it just, you just keep getting heavier. And instead of like actually 
for everything you add, and and Jim was great at breaking this down. It's like we never subtract anything, right? So so this networking exercise really helped me understand like like how come we don't just bring in Rachel Vickery and spend our money on having her teach us to breathe better um, or understand our physiological response to stress better. Um, and you certainly could reach out to Belisa. Dr. Belisa crushes that. Some of her books are, are fantastic. You saw one on, on one of my previous slides. And, and I know I'm I, like, I don't want to be up against the time. So I'm kind of moving a little faster, but this is, this is like going back to the uh, framework I'd showed a few slides ago, as far as like ex experimentation, it's a lot like research, right? Like I, I'm much more kind of jiving with the one on on the the reality of it is like the right i don't that is how you get from a to b a lot of times in a fire service uh everybody thinks it's just like this very linear thing but uh my experience is telling me that to be successful you you've got to kind of be fluid and adaptive and and like the reality of this is that like a lot of times the more fluid you are and the more nonlinear you are the more you're actually going to get out of that experience and and then like be able to apply some experimentation to um, to what you're seeing and doing. Like, uh, you know, again, I, I'm a little spoiled in that my job does go to, to quite a few fires. So I get to I get to see that and, and I do get to uh, operate maybe more than, than the next person. But um, even as our fires are going away, the way I'm thinking about it now because of what I've been doing academically has just radically changed. And, and it's a, a beautiful thing you know, to be on the backside of my career now, pushing 25 years and being able to retire, I'm trying to push this down to like the five and the seven and the 10 year guys and gals and, and try to really help them understand this, which to me really kind of expedites their their learning, right? And and like adapting their own personal experiences and, and having a discussion with them about mine. And then like, you can kind of get out past myths and, and sort of see the reality of some things and um, how you're associating. And like you see, I have some some of the letters there underlined, and I'm sure you probably will touch on this if you hadn't already read about it through some prerequisite materials, the UDA, uh, which is now kind of starting to trend a real little bit in the fire service, but it's been around for quite some time, developed by Boyd. Um, but but I, I pulled that, not for this, but for the overall quote is, um, you know, I, I hate these these things that we just love to kind of regurgitate to think outside the box. And I, I, I've learned to hate that idea because we have like five year instructors on the Internet saying that out loud, but like they don't even have enough time in the box to really understand the idea in the first place. Right. So so my premise is to just like spend a lot of time in the box, like like sort of understanding it and have patience with that. And and like that's how you generate tempo to then think outside the box when you're create like when you're forced almost to be creative when you are hit with a novel with a novel situation right and that's where that innovation comes into play right so we've got increased creativity and innovation towards the more novel and the useful then you successfully implement you have your solutions and programs and and your curricula your doctrine or whatnot and then like you're increasing your ability to problem solve learn things and then like ultimately i think that that kind of just lands at, at organizational performance and and if i'm if i'm trying to challenge the status quo like that's that's what i'm looking for does anybody know who this gentleman is no takers i, I know he's got an 
an outstanding turtleneck on. I'm sort of jealous of it. This is Mahali Chiksen Mahali. I probably probably butchered it, but I think I'm pretty close. This gentleman basically um, created the terminology flow or flow state, right? I, I believe he kind of pioneered positive psychology. And, and like, if you haven't heard from Hannah yet, which you probably haven't, maybe you're going to later in the program, and, and then you'll probably get into a little bit of that. And, and, and you know, I, I know Cat uh, and Dan is, is also wearing his whoop, and, and maybe some of you are. Uh, that would be something we can maybe discuss later. But but like as as your arousal state, like the tones drop, it's 2 a.m. You're you're kind of trying to take it down. And then like you have the reported people trapped. Like we, we'd all agree that like the two most stressed people on the on the fire ground are probably the first two chauffeur and the battalion chief. Um, so so having said that, one of the fellows in my company wears that and he's the chauff. And then like it, it's interesting to kind of compare our data when we bring up our whoop stuff and 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 like really get into the weeds on like what was your heart rate what was your max heart rate you know what was your strain score and, and i i'm bringing up the whoop or a biometric device of, of your choosing whatever it might be to kind of like monitor this stuff because i you know we're just being stressed at, at such a high level but like education and learning has really helped me understand what's happening to me um when when that situation that i talked about at the, the 2 a.m run with people trapped and and like how to sort of control that i have a much better understanding of like how to control my anxiety how to avoid boredom and sort of like stay in this flow state so like if i go to a good fire uh you look at my my whoop um screenshot of my my, my strain it like you want it to kind of be like up and down up and down and like across this line and it's really interesting to actually see that happening now i can track that myself and, and much less you know, the sleep and everything else. And that's something else we could talk about, or you'll see later on in the program. But um, if I'm looking to be in this flow state, right, it sort of lines up with with the unified model of stress. This is right out of Grossman's uh, work. And, and you can kind of see like, you know, we hear people talk about the back end of the curve and, and whatnot. Like you can sort of like line that up with the beats per minute. And that's why I was saying we try to compare our, our, our data whether that's as simple as like how many calories we burned and and to see that another Jim McNamara thing through our education and learning was that like, you, you know, chess players are burning 3000 calories sitting at the table playing chess. Like there's not a whole lot of physicality going on there, but they're still achieving that level of strain. Right. And to his point, firefighters just have absolutely no idea how, how stressed they really are, um, especially in the summer with our turnout gear on and everything. But, but like, for me to understand how I travel this flow state here, like that line, that dotted line at, at like high arousal and then like carry it through the event, right? When I can look at my whoop score and kind of figure that it's like tracking like that, like I know not only am I in half decent physical shape, but like I'm in the mental space that I need to be in um, to kind of operate the best I can, right? Like if I'm looking for optimal performance, this education and learning stuff is really helping me understand how to do that. Again, so creativity solves complexity. It's one of my one of my huge things. Uh, and, and I just kind of love this photo. It, it's sort of to me, like people would look at that and not think fire service all day long, but like this thing screams fire service in my opinion, it just screams it. Um, so yeah let's start uh, thinking differently about it. And and then like, so we reflect and I reflect all the time on, on these folks. So Joel's out of the company. Obviously we got another great guy in his place, but if you look to my right in this photo, you see our new guy 
with his contraband shield. We got him. A, we got him a new one, and and it looks like everybody else is now because he's been with us for about three years. But like, I'm super present to his learning, right? And and like, you know, I pick my battles with what I do and don't say, um, and when and where I say it. I'm happy to say that he's actually engaging in the emerging leaders program that Leadership Under Fire is going to. Just an outstanding young young fella, and uh, for me, if I'm present to his learning and I respond with the next best possible move and, and kind of like have these long conversations and put like we put an inordinate amount of work in on the front end of it so that like when we finally have it happen to us like we've had that conversation so many times that like it's like you're going through the motions on autopilot and you're hitting your markers or you're making your moves but you're also kind of just like like I already I already know like where I'm at with this right so I, I feel like I'm probably just under an hour and that, that might actually be a good thing if we're going to maybe do some questions or whatever, but that's all I've got. So just to kind of wrap that up, we can maybe do questions a little now if you want, or I'm going to, I'm going to wind up hanging out for the rest of the program. Hey Gabe, I got a question for you. So you, you talked about not necessarily loving the status quo. And I'm sure you've had both sides of that. So I, I kind of agree with that philosophy a lot. And I'm sure overall you've had goods and bads because of that. But overall, do you think that's been beneficial? Like not questioning things and, and maybe not always agreeing with status quo. Um, you found that to be more beneficial than not over, over the whole time? That's a great question, Ryan. I think, um, I feel like there's been a lot of benefit to it. And I know reverting back to some of the things that Captain Dan has said, like, like leadership's hard, man. So like, if you're going to challenge the status quo all the time, and I've sort of like probably done that to a fault and, and I've gotten good at picking my battles. And I feel like my place just maybe is an outlier in, in the regard that there's just so much wrong and so much to do that I almost can't help myself. Right. But, but I will tell you that it's definitely created plenty of problems for me in terms of like administrative stuff or re retaliatory actions yeah we could we could probably go on about this at length and I, I won't bore you with any of the horror stories but if you're going to do that if you're going to challenge people uh and i mean like whether or not you're challenging them to be the best version of themselves or you're challenging them to just uh see something that you're not or, or to to alter doctrine, whatever it might be, uh, you've got to be prepared for the pushback on that. Um, so I guess to answer your question, it's worked for me. Um, I feel like when you're in my firehouse, you can certainly see like what, what can be accomplished and what can be done. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that like it, it doesn't take a lot to stand out in, in a place that like everybody's kind of sort of apathetic to a fault so so standing out is is not as complex as it it sounds and and again like that certainly will put a bullseye on your back and you're going to have to deal with some of that and uh you know maybe in another year when i get to 25 years like i start challenging even more status quos when i can just kind of be like yeah i'm done here have a nice day but uh yeah, I, I, I'm a big boy. I got big shoulders and I feel like I feel so strongly about some of this stuff. Um, and I fundamentally disagree with some stuff that I see. So I'm, I'm prepared to challenge it and uh, 
if you feel strongly and have conviction about what you think and, and you run it past, you know, your network or your credible people and your mentors and, and you think you're right, then I think that the challenge is worth it, no matter what happens on the back end of it. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Question for Gabe. Just curious, Gabe, your um, experience with all of the education that you have gone through. Obviously, um, you seem to be pretty well educated with your programs that you've done and taken and going for, I guess, a PhD. Just curious what that, how that was received initially in the firehouse. It's been my experience that sometimes people don't necessarily respect that as much as I feel like they should. I would 100% agree with you, Brad. I feel like at, at my job, it does absolutely nothing for me, you know, on, on paper, right? Like it's not getting me any points on a promotional exam. It's not getting me any like leverage towards uh, having administration respect me. I, I try to remember one of my old battalion chief, he, he had said something funny and, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase the hell out of it. And it's been some years since he said it, but it did stick with me. And it was something along the lines of, you know, we hire with civil service, right? And, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with that or Title 40 or something, but civil service, it's not like, you know, the private sector, like we're a public thing, right? So just because I go to the chief of department, I have all these, these ideas or I'm trying to drive the X, Y, and Z. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that they're going to, fire somebody above me in rank and then like put me in their position like it just doesn't work that way um so i i do agree with you i feel like education is certainly frowned on it and i i realized that when i actually I, I think i'm going back to 18 now i always get a kid out of this when i joined leadership under fire some of the like quote unquote and i hate this word but the ghetto firemen uh that i was friends with from you know detroit or this place or that place they it was like it was almost like the switch was flipped, like not that they didn't see the value in education or academics or whatever, but like we're, we're just, I think, trying to think about this on like a whole another level um, and steer like steer things at a much higher rate of of um, of thought or or uh, perspective. Like we're way in the macro and I, and and I think it's it's really awesome um, and people just culturally don't understand it. And they think that uh, there's no place for it. I, I I recently had been really getting into the weeds of this blue collar thing, this blue collar idea. I, I'd been actually writing quite a bit about it, and, and we're just sort of stuck, sort of stuck with this idea that that like they don't need to think. And and I I think our profession has gotten incredibly complex, and, and it's not stopping. Um, technology is driving us wild. Like even talking about the citizen app and and how that little thing is impacting, like we have nothing to do with that, but it impacts our operators a great deal. And if we're not looking to get better with every single angle, and I say this all the time, I think leadership under fire, like you hear firemen say all the time, like don't reinvent the wheel. And I'm all about brilliance in the basics, obviously, but but we are kind of looking at reinventing the one wheel that hasn't even been invented in the fire service. And that's understanding ourselves at a level that we never we never really have before. And I know I'm kind of digressing and kind of long-winded here. It's sort of a habit of mine, but I think that we're never going to get everybody to kind of just think, hey, it's okay for me to go out with lawyers and doctors and speak eloquently about hydraulics or, or like, you know, coordinated fire attack or vertical ventilation or something like that. 
you know, they just want to scream gap set force and break shit and, and like, you know, be done with it. And uh, I think there's a whole lot more to it than that. And yeah, I mean, it bothers me. Like you promote up like part of your job. How, how many fires do you really go to? I, I mean, even for us, we're slowing down. 90% of my tour isn't going to fires. You know, it's dealing with people. It's making decisions on the street. It's driving paperwork. It's looking at policy and procedure. It, it's looking to see who's, you know, tearing through their sick time. I mean, these are like maybe light blue collar, like a mixture of white and blue. And and um, we just don't seem to take that side seriously, especially the side that does like heavy EMS, which, you know, we're fortunate to not really engage with much. We don't do that at my job um, unless the EMS provider calls us out specifically for something. Yeah, I mean, that's your point, Mike. They don't go to Harvard looking for firefighters. Why would they? Because you're just going to get like some snooty asshole with his finger up. Like, you know, there, there's a whole lot of uh, bias, personal bias, like subconscious bias, uh, judgmental stuff. Like there's a fellow that that is on our team. I don't know too, too well, but he just blows my mind with how intelligent he is. And he's going to go crawl a hallway with the best of them. Like he will be tactically sound and proficiently sound. And personally, if I'm trying to be filthy, I need to sort of forgo the whole idea that I'm just this blue collar guy breaking shit and, and that needs heart and balls. Um, I, I need to sort of think a lot more. And, and I don't know if I'm answering your question or just kind of rambling on at this point, bro. but I, I feel like it definitely is kind of frowned upon because people aren't willing to really put the time and effort in that it takes. And it, it bothers me because it's extremely accessible at this point, you know, the internet has changed everything and the pandemic has largely pushed everybody on the platforms like the one we're using right now. Um, virtual collaboration is only going to get more and more uh, common, right? So we got to stop finding excuses to, to start thinking more. And I'll try to leave it at that and hope that I sort of answered you. Hey, Gabe and uh, everybody. Here in Wilmington, we've seemed to have a little bit, I, I want to say almost flipped that your comments and in, in respect to the new people that we're hiring, we're, we're finding that we, you know, a lot of people that are coming on our job now are actually educated already. So, you know, I'm sitting here listening to your talks tonight, but one of the things I have to do as a battalion chief is QC reports. And, you know, I got to go through emails and all that stuff too, but the competence levels and the education that I'm starting to see in the younger firefighters and people even like in their middle years on the job has really exceeded expectations do you think that's something that people are going to start seeing all over the place now or i mean and i know we still want to have that blue collar versus white collar and everything in between argument but it's just it's it's really it's becoming a demarcation here in our department I'm just kind of building off those comments a little bit i i you know and let me preface this by saying like I, i'm as blue collar as they come man like I, I i want there's not enough fires i i want to go to every fire i possibly can and i'm willing to to just physically crush myself at every one i go to 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 kind of do that so i, I definitely don't want to like leave anyone with the impression that i'm anti-blue collar because it's certainly not the case but but i i can see that ryan i feel like there's way more people coming into our thing uh who already have educations because um, and, and, you know, we could probably go down this rabbit hole, but I would imagine that th there's nowhere for them to go with the educations they're getting, right? So so a, a solid job like Wilmington Fire Department, 
has a pension and, and a steady paycheck and some benefits and and you know maybe i'm going to do this or try this out for a little while and put my associates or my bachelor's or my mass whatever i have on the back burner you know and and go and do this civil civil servant job you know and and this is what i'm saying like i think that's great like i want to marry the two i'm not against blue collar or pro white collar i would just like to marry them both um and that's like you know you know that's where the filth comes in you know you're you're yeah i mean i came in i came in the fire department i came in the fire department the same way working construction jobs and doing some other things knuckle dragger i guess you'd say and that was how a lot, a lot of our leaders were at the time and a bunch of us actually fought you know and did it for ourselves to go out and get an education whether you know associates bachelors but i think today um some of these younger people coming into the fire service with those things already in place um starting to see like especially in our area we're getting a lot of the smaller smaller town fire departments actually have paid guys you know go from the volunteer side to the paid side now where they've got to have a paid captain or a paid bc and stuff like that so I'm, I'm, you're kind of starting to see that transition take place now they're staying here three to five years and then instead of moving up here hey there's a captain's job in the next town over with two fire stations um and that's where they're starting to go so they're already starting to kind of leave what they've kind of built upon here and that's kind of a it's kind of a little fight that we've got going on right now too but i definitely think the education on the front end is actually paying off and kind of accelerating you know our business a little bit yeah acceleration is, is a really good word hey i'd like to add something that Ryan talked about, I'm from Wilmington also. Uh, but, you know, uh, me and Ryan kind of came up together. I'm a little bit behind him. But, yeah, like 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 Ryan said, education was kind of frowned upon. You know, we were called college boys. and uh, But, you know, we come a long way, and, I, and, and our younger people are coming on, you know, already have a bachelor's degree and stuff. But what we're also finding is, and I don't know if this is unique to us or, or if y'all experience this too, but I guess I would say the middle people, and some of them, some of them are educated, but they don't want to promote. And 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 they are, I mean, they are great firefighters. They train, they take classes, but they don't want to, our, our engineer, chauffeur, we call master firefighter. They don't want to move up. The master firefighters don't want to become captains. Captains don't want to become BCs. But these are the exact same people who are who are doing a great job every day. A lot of them ride up in those positions anyway. But kind of when you talk to them, when you kind of boil it down, they, and I don't know if it maybe, I, I know we talk about our mental well-being now, something we always, you know, used to be sucking up buttercup. But uh, but when you talk to them, they say, I'm happy. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy as a firefighter. I'm happy as a captain. I don't, you know, so I, I don't know if other people are experiencing that because we're getting to the point now that we're, we're actually getting a traffic jam. We're, we're getting gridlocked of well now with hopefully with this next group like like ron talked about but i'm special ops chief you know and uh, i'm really light when it comes to special ops captains and and i'm begging these guys i'm like you know and i see them on the street at a hazmat call and they are wonderful they're my go-to guys they understand meters better than i do computers but they just won't they just they just say they don't want to go for promotion and i don't know if that's something anyone else is seeing because we are really experiencing that here I, I, so, and I don't know if Dan would want to chime in on that from like the, the larger perspective, because my job is pretty tiny, John, you know, um, it's probably, I, I might be on one of the smallest jobs from, from most of the guys on our team, but I will tell you 
from personal experience. I I knew I wanted to be a company officer when I got hired. Like I, there's something about that. So the position I find myself in right now is that I'm sitting number two on a battalion chief's test. And I've already written the civil service, asking them how I can defer that if they somehow get to my number, because I'd like to quote you, I'd like being a captain. I like what I'm doing. I think the guys I work with are fantastic. And we like with, with all the humility in the world, I, I think we're highly effective and we love going like, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow morning, man. And, and to think that my days are numbered of doing that. Um, I would only have to reach back to one of my mentors saying, and he wasn't even speaking in terms of this when he told me this, but he said, at some point, it becomes not about you. And I believe he meant that when I was promoting the company officer with like the pension and the paycheck for my family and all that. But I look at that a little more macro now. And, and to your point, I think I, I can be as effective as a battalion chief, I think, as a as I am as a company officer, if that makes sense. And uh, like, I just have to sort of frame it in my head where like, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I feel like it's going to be a challenge to stand out front of a building and watch people do what I'd rather be doing, right? I I, I want to go to fire. I want to go in. I want to do my job. And, and like, I'm tactical like that. I like that. And I would imagine it will be a tough transition. But at the end of the day, I can't keep sitting here talking about some of the stuff I'm talking about and then not take that further along in my organization and try to like do what I can to make it better for people below me. Right. So, so I don't know how that, what I'm saying like helps you with, with your situation in Wilmington there, but at some point, hopefully they can all kind of see that this isn't about them and it's sort of about the mission. And I know, I know like, uh, Lieutenant Murph, uh, Danny Murphy would like, we had a lot of really awesome conversations on, on our farm about how, how you're just kind of like a, a spoke in the wheel. And as it goes around, like you go to the spoke behind you and try to bring them up and pass along your knowledge and transfer your thing. And then like, you know, as you move up, like um, hopefully they're learning and then they're, they fill your role and, and uh, you move up and you keep on doing your best. And that's how it works. You know, um, I can't imagine that, that like every organization is going to be like because the problem becomes then like those those roles get filled with people who don't necessarily uh want to or or are going to be good for that right um so i don't know maybe your homework assignment is to go and find those people and tell them that uh it's at some point it's not about you yeah yeah i mean we're definitely trying like i said especially my you know special ops i'm a special ops guy came up through hazmat you know and and, you know, I think we talked about it earlier, you know, usually the special ops, they're the go-getters. But, mm -hmm. you know, I just get that, you know, like you said. And I was the same way. I mean, coming off the truck and and, and riding in the fire SUV and, uh, you know, talking on the radio. I mean, I, I miss it. But, you know, I, and maybe we do too good of a job. You know, to, you know, you know, I love being on this company. I love I love my I love my company also, I, you know. But, yeah, like you said, it's it's kind of like, well, you got to you got you got to do what's good for organization. You know, because, you know, me, you know, I've got four years left. I, I think uh, Chief Young, he's only got about two and a half. You know, it's like, hey, man, we're, we're not going to be here. So, I, I, you know, I don't know what to tell y'all. You know, but, you know, I want to I want to help you now. I'm into you now. But, you know, but you got to you got to come up some. And, and mm -hmm. so but I just didn't know if other departments were experiencing that or if that's just something unique here, you know. 
No, I, I don't think that it's unique. I, I feel like uh, a lot of people in the fire service really enjoy what they do. It, it's pretty obvious. I, I think we attract great people and um, you know, they're, it, it's going to be hard, man, to move on, uh, especially, and, and it's not even about like me being comfortable or me like being nervous with the new, like, I know I can do that. I, you know, like it, give me a, a month or two in grade and learn how to do X, Y, and Z and I'll be fine. But um, that doesn't make it any easier to to leave what I know is, is really established and a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I feel like going to work is just anything but actually going to work. So I had to, I had a tough pill to swallow when I went to this position. When I came off the truck, I was a captain on a ladder truck downtown here and um, worked at a station with the same deal, a bunch of go-getters. One of my best assignments. And, you know, I question whether coming off that truck for a long time was a good deal. But the one thing that does give me satisfaction now, and maybe you could think about this in the future, is um, seeing the people in my battalion now kind of emulate what we were doing on our truck gives me yeah. pretty good satisfaction that it's just not one truck. It's, you know, three engines, two ladders, you know, so it, it's, it's a greater, it is a greater group now that's doing the same thing. So that really over the past several months has really given me really good satisfaction to be able to sit back and watch and say, you know, I would do that too. This is how I'd have done it. And they're already doing it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Hey man, I, I'm tracking that and I'm, uh, I'm, I'll take all the time it takes if that happens. Great. But uh, I'm looking forward to that and seeing uh, if we can build out multiple units with, with the culture of the firehouse I work in now and kind of build it up capacity wise. Um, what's something and I kind of wrote this down, so hopefully it comes out OK, but um, what's a metric that you can be used for the education and the learning aspect of the company? In other words, how do you feel like you can determine the training and drills that you're putting together are paying off? Obviously, the scene is the ultimate determine, uh, determinant for the capability, but is there anything else that you use, uh, especially like, you know, the other guys were saying from Wilmington about being special ops? Is, is it like the feedback from recruits? Do you do, obviously, tailboard talks, put a clock on it? I mean, where do you feel like what you're trying to determine as a company officer is truly paying off with the guys other than maybe just, you know, VES at a call or, you know, stretching a line or something? Uh, I don't, I don't have anything like framework wise for that or, or like, like a definitive thing, Joel. I, I feel like we don't have anything formal procedural with uh, paperwork or any kind of like tracking thing or whatever. I, I, I just, for me personally, I, I mean, I'm observing it. Like I see it like um, the two fellows that have been my most recent and, and I'm blessed because I have a senior guy I showed you in the photo, Tony. He, he's a fantastic, he doesn't have a single, he doesn't have an instructor one cert, but he's the best instructor my job has, right? These, these cats learn from him. There is legitimate knowledge transfer. And I see that because they come into the company and they start driving the rig, you know, and then we give them some, some drills and we, and we build up the tempo with that. Like initially it's kind of like mild and then we work our way up to wild. And then it's just like, I'm driving down the street one day and I say, you see that plug over there, get me water out of it in a minute and a half. And I get out of the rig and I pull the, I, I, you know, I pump some gear. I, I start draining water out of a master stream and uh, I tell him to get water before we run out. And and that's like, he's on the clock. It's like two minutes and like, he's hustling, you know, he's there, there's drills involved and, and then there's, you know, we watch it happen. And then we kind of transition from, you know, that 
to to like real world. And uh, I've watched repeatedly as multiple members that have come into the company with us, Tony and I, um, have have built capacity. And we tell them, I'm just like, listen, if you, if you minimize your mistakes, you're you're going to do really well here. And just focus on the basics, brilliance in the basics. I think Dan crushed that um, in some of his last few slides there. And uh, I couldn't agree more with him. But but to answer the question, I see that. And, and then it happens in real life. We start going to fires and these cats are where they're supposed to be. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And, and like there's a lot of nonverbal communication. There's no more order. So and I wouldn't want to get into like a different program or anything like that, but I, I have a bunch of slides on like how you develop mutual trust. And when people come to me, I think really the only thing I say, like from an official capacity is like, don't, don't pull a hand line until I tell you to, because on my way to mutual trust, I have to sort of trust, but verify. And um, I even heard a term that I, I, I want to like, but I just hate the word micromanagement so much. It was micromanagement until you trust and and we go over it and then we see them do it and and we allow them to make mistakes and and we you know we want to fail and fail quickly and get it out of the way and move on to a more successful second time and learn from the mistake and i just you know uh the final metric on it is i see it joel i, I see these dudes improving they go to fires there's fire showing we reported people whatever it is and and like they're handling it they're absorbing the the stress of it, they're they're performing well, they're they're physically able, they're keeping themselves in shape, they're not coming to work hungover, you know. You know, I, I we we talk all the time, man. We just talk all the time. And uh it I think it's working. Our youngest guy from the truck, young kid, he's been with us a little over a year now. He's got all the experience, like the tempo at my house is just much better. And um ultimately I I watch it happen and and I can make the judgment on it. They're all turning out to be terrific firemen. And, you know, I don't work overtime anymore. I got my hands full outside of work. So they go to fires without me all the time. And, and, and I love it. Like I, I, the greatest feeling ever is that my company crushed it when I was off. Like they don't need me anymore. I, I'm doing my job. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry if I, I phrased it that way, as far as like an actual formal metric. Um, I think we've kind of hit on the fact that we all have our own expectations and standards. That's why a lot of us are in the class, but kind of just more or less you as a company officer and, you know, as a leader in the fire service, I know Gabe, I've taken your classes at FDIC and some other stuff. You do a great job of that, but knowing that, you know, as, as we look up to you guys and as we're learning from you, you know, just more or less the personal side of, you know, as an experienced company officer, larger departments, busier departments, you know, we're, you know, I'm, I'm assigned in the training division right now. So, you know, getting all these, brand new off the street guys is like, when, when do you feel comfortable as an officer of them getting it? I thank you guys. Everybody else. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the program. Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.